Good morning again. I want to thank you all for joining us this morning uh, in person or online. And while I'm at it, thank you once again for granting Kim and me the time and the permission and the encouragement to take a sabbatical. It was a season and a memory that will be with us um, and we'll cherish for the rest of our lives, but it was more than that. And my hope is to share just a little bit of uh, what I've learned and experienced during this time that I think is appropriate for us at this time. First, I want to invite you to join with me in just a moment of silence. Let's make some sacred space for God to speak this morning, and then I'll, I'll open us up in prayer. Come our light and illumine our darkness. Come our life and revive us from death. Come our physician and heal our wounds. Come flame of divine love and burn up the thorns of our sins, kindling our hearts with the flame of your love. Amen. <clears throat> right before I left on sabbatical back in late April, I was speaking with Betty Bergmark, who wished me well on my upcoming sabbatical, I said thank you, and I mumbled a bit of an apology to her out of my guilt for being able to go away for three months, and she replied, it will be good for us too. By that, I don't think she meant it will be good for us to get rid of you for a few months too. <laughs> but rather, it will be good for us for you to come back refreshed and energized for whatever is coming next. Then Betty gave me a print that she had ordered well over a year before, and when she read our sabbatical proposal and she saw the theme of the sabbatical, she remembered this print and she felt led to give it to us. The theme of my sabbatical comes from a phrase from St. Ignatius of Loyola, finding God in all things, finding God in all things. For me personally, this has often meant finding God in creation. And in particular, more specifically, in the stars, in the cosmos, looking at the planets. An important part of Ignatius' story is that during a war, before he'd come to know Christ, he was, get this, hit in the leg by a cannonball. Ouch. And while he was recovering, I can't imagine the surgeries he went through in that time period. While he was recovering and convalescing, he... Uh, he read what he, the only things he had to read at the time. And that was very important to him. And I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit more in just a minute. But he also had a similar experience as I have in terms of where I see God. He writes of himself uh, which was in, in, in the third person, which was a common way to write about yourself when you didn't want to seem proud. He writes of himself in his autobiography, quote, The greatest consolation he received at this time was from gazing at the sky and stars. And this he often did and for quite a long time. The print that Betty gave us, which now hangs in our living room, reads, Strive to see God in all things. And that was our plan as we left on sabbatical the first week of May. But I'll be honest, while prayer and reading Scripture and reflecting on Scripture have always, were always a part of our sabbatical, I was surprised to see just how much work God was doing in me personally how much inward work God was doing. The all things that we, in which we saw God ended up being uh, as much internal and spiritual as it was external and cosmic. 
I have come back knowing myself better, knowing God more deeply, and desiring that you, the people I pastor, would know God and Christ more deeply too. I have come to believe, in fact, that the main purpose for my sabbatical was my own self-discovery and transformation into the leader that God has made me to be and wants me to be into the leader that you need me to be. But let's rewind a bit. Eleven months ago, Monday, September 28th, 2020, I spent the better part of the morning in prayer, listening and journaling. The events of the long and difficult and controversial congregational meeting were just a week before that, and they were still very much fresh in my mind and my heart, and I'm not going to dive into all of that uh, meeting too deeply, except to say that one of the motions at that meeting was to reaffirm my calling to ECC. That motion passed barely. 64.5% voted to reaffirm my calling. And so I had some things to discern and pray about. Should I stick it out? Or should I, for the good of ECC, for the good of the kingdom, and for my own good, leave? As I prayed and waited 11 months ago, I sensed that I should simply open the Book of Common Prayer and see what the Gospel reading was for that day. It was Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, the passage we heard read earlier, and here's why that's important. It was the same passage that God had used to lead me to ECC in the spring of 2007. Since I did not choose the passage, rather it was chosen for me, or perhaps God chose it for me, I thought that maybe God was going to use it to call me to another church as he had used it to call me to ECC 13 years prior. But as I prayed through the passage, I saw something different than what I'd seen in 2007. In 2007, what spoke to me was the way Simon and James and John were called to drop their nets and leave it all behind, including a very abundant catch of fish, and go and follow Jesus. You see, the 11 years I had served with Bethany Covenant Church in Lyndhurst, Ohio, had been wonderful on so many levels. It was a fruitful ministry. We had grown. And there was absolutely no reason to consider leaving except that God was calling me to do so. And so, with a fair amount of sadness and a growing certainty of of God's call, we moved to Lafayette in the summer of 2007. Eleven months ago, however, entirely different guidance came out of the passage as I prayed through it and listened. I don't know if this has happened to you, but I've read passages over and over, and I never cease to be amazed when I see something I didn't see before, but that's what happened. This is a good time for a disclaimer. Every time I preach, I read scholars uh, on historical, social, and literary criticism for the passage. That is good and right, but that is not what we're doing this morning. That is not what we're doing. This morning, I am engaging with you in what some refer to as a sacramental reading of the passage. That is, in what I'm going to share this morning, I think God is speaking to me and speaking to us by His Spirit, and we need to take it and meditate on it and pray about it and listen to the Spirit and respond to it, if that is the case. This morning is not so much a sermon as it is a testimony. And so the passage, Luke 5, 1 through 4. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And it was this phrase, put out into deep water, that caught my attention. I had never seen the word deep before. And yet it is in the Greek. The implication was that the disciples had not fished in deeper waters during the night. Jesus wanted them to fish somewhere else where they had not fished. Simon answered in verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. And I heard myself say as I identified with Simon, I am tired. I have been serving here a long time with what seems at times nothing to show for it. We have lost people. We are tired. We are frustrated. Maybe we better just clean up our nets and go home. Yet because you say so, I will let down the nets. I will stay and fish in deeper waters. And when these early disciples did what they did not want to do and let down their nets into deeper waters, verse 6, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And this is how God got my attention 11 months ago. God wants to do a new thing at ECC. God wants us to fish in deeper water and see a new kind of harvest. We are tired. We may feel we've caught nothing. We may feel nothing but loss and frustration and exhaustion. We're ready to pack it all in, go home and watch Netflix. But there is something more God wants to do here in us and through us. And so we say to Jesus, if you say so, we will let down the nets. I knew when I came out of that prayer time nearly a year ago, I knew then that I was called to stay longer. But for several months, I struggled to accept this. Why? Because it was hard. Frankly, it just continued to be difficult to be here at ECC. And I was looking for a way out. I interviewed with several churches during this time, right up and into the first week of sabbatical. In the end, however, and there's more to the story I will be happy to share with you, I came to a place of peace. God was calling me to stay and calling us as the people and the staff and the leadership of ECC to fish in deeper waters. Now, to put it another way, during this time and to this day, I have been and am daily being led to deeper waters so that I might help you find deeper waters too. What does it mean to fish in deeper waters? Well, to begin with, it means first and foremost to pursue our own transformation. To fish in deeper waters is to pursue our own transformation. No one's going to do it for you. You have to do it. It means in addition to all the good gifts that Jesus gives us, the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life, Jesus has even more to give us if we are willing to walk the path toward our own Christiformity. Becoming more like Jesus inside and out. And a song that we're going to sing that Megan found in just a few minutes puts it this way. We've had a taste. We've had a glimpse of heaven, but there is so much more you've promised. We've seen the signs. We've heard the sound of freedom, but there are greater things you've promised. And the greater things God promises is life in the kingdom of God. Life lived in the fullness of the kingdom of God. To borrow the Hebrew word, the with God life. To borrow the Hebrew word, the Emmanuel life. God is with us. 
Furthermore, fishing in deeper waters means that everything we are and everything we do and will do will be done because we are transformed people and are ever transforming, always pursuing our own transformation. When we speak of the ECC touchstones of welcome, transformation, and presence, while all three are absolutely vital to our mission, the reality is if we want to be welcoming people, if we want to be people who are present in our community with the good news of Jesus, we must pursue our own transformation. Without transformation, we are simply trying harder to do what only God by His Spirit within us can accomplish. And so God calls us to deeper water. Deeper water is where the fruit of our future ministry lies. While on sabbatical, as I mentioned before, Kim and I began to practice and work through spiritual practice uh, from St. Ignatius called the Spiritual Exercises, As Ignatius was recovering from being hit by that cannonball during the war, he had time just to lay there and think, a sabbatical of a different type. I prefer mine. And during this time, he read the only things that were available to him at the time, a biography of Jesus and the lives of the saints. He did not at that point know Christ. As he read these things, because what else are you going to do? He came to faith, and he learned to pray and commune with God in a new way. He then turned his experiences into spiritual exercises, primarily initially for monks, nuns, and priests, but also adaptable for us regular folk, too. And so as Kim and I took part in these spiritual exercises, God showed me some things about myself that, quite honestly, were not fun to learn. But they were fruitful, nonetheless. I just want to share with you some of these things and how I think they're going to impact us going forward. First, I am done trying to be something I am not. I am done trying to be something I'm not. In the words of several authors who write on spiritual formation, hold on a second here, I need to come to terms with the false idea of self that I carry around, that I project, that I try to protect, and I need to start leaning into my true self as a child of God, loved by God, created to bring glory to God simply by being me. I have to tell you, I didn't know what was in the children's moment at all, and we were a little concerned that it was going to be a little out of kilter, but I am uniquely made. There is only one me. And I bring glory to God by being me. And so do you. Not by being me. You do you. (laughs) I need to stop pretending to be something I'm not. We all do. In her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Ruth Haley Barton speaks to what I've been learning. She says, quote, It takes profound willingness to invite God to search us and know us at the deepest level of our being allowing him to show us the difference between the performance-oriented drivenness of the false self and the deeper calling to lead from our authentic self in God. As I considered how to share these things in a brief report to counsel a couple of weeks ago, I sat in my office and I looked out the window with my computer in my lap and I said, oh God, where do I even begin? And right at that moment he appeared, the ECC Cardinal. This cardinal, we see him every once in a while. I'm sure it's the same one. 
This is his territory. He sees his reflection in one of the windows over here on this, this wing, and he rams his beak in his head to it over and over because he thinks it's a rival male cardinal. They do it to car windows sometimes too. And I, said, I, I saw that, and immediately I said, that's it, that's me. I have been ramming my head into a false image of myself for years. And it's not working. It never works. And yet I've kept at it. I've kept at it. It has done no good for me. It has done no good for the cardinal, and it, was, it is doing no good for you. My false self, the idea of who I am and who I want others to think I am is all about seeking love and acceptance and respect and trying to win success. I have tried to live up to the leadership culture CEO model of a pastor. I am not a CEO. I never will be. I am called and gifted to be a pastor. And that's different. A pastor's calling is primarily about shepherding people to maturity in Christ. And my goal is that each and every one of you become more like Jesus every day because when we are becoming more and more like Jesus, the words of Jesus are just as true today as when he first uttered them. The kingdom of God is at hand. When we are becoming more and more like Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. Scott McKnight, in his book, Pastor Paul, states rather clearly, and here you will see where we get that crazy made-up word that we throw around all the time. He says, quote, The pastor is called to nurture a culture of Christiformity. To pastor means to nurture Christiformity in both individuals and congregations. In addition, I identify very strongly with the words and the sentiment of Eugene Peterson, who pastored for dozens of years about his own experience as a pastor, he said this, Every day, every Sunday, I look across this congregation and I wonder prayerfully what is going on. I know most of you pretty well, but there's a lot I don't know. He continues, I am here every week with the conviction that this place, this place of worship is the most important place you can be right now, that the scriptures, hymns, prayers, and sermon can enter into your souls, your lives, bringing you into a deeper participation in eternal life. A deeper participation in eternal life. Now, just to be clear, when he talks about participation in eternal life, he's not talking about where we go when we die. That's also true. He's talking about something else. As Jesus himself defines eternal life in John 17, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that we know God and that we know Christ. Eternity is now, friends. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. It is abundant life here and now, not just in the hereafter. It is the Emmanuel life the God with us life, the kingdom life, and it is available now. Why wait when Jesus has so much more to give us? Strategy is not my strong point, and it never will be. But I do have vision. I do have vision. And it is all about who we are becoming as a congregation and who each of you is becoming in your walks with Christ. It's about us having Christ so deeply formed within us and 
overflowing out of us that wherever we are, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our schools, or at the dog park, people who encounter us encounter Jesus in us. My vision is that all of you would have Christ formed in you and overflowing to the point that whenever anybody encounters you, they are encountering, encountering Jesus in you. I have a vision that one day we will be, in fact, be known as a truly welcoming, transformative, and present church community, but that is not going to happen if we do not pursue our own transformation, if we not go to deeper waters. You can choose not to go to deeper waters. I'm not saying if you don't go to deeper waters, you're not saved, you're not going to heaven. I am not saying that at all. That is not true. But you are missing out when Jesus has so much more. One of the other things God has shown me about me and about us is that prayer must more and more characterize who we are and how we live our lives. My, my commitment to you, <clears throat> my commitment to you, is that when there is a discussion or a meeting or an impasse or a difficult decision that needs to be made and we're not getting anywhere, I will stop the meeting and I will say, let's pray and let's wait on the Spirit to speak, if that's not already happening. My goal is that we would become the community of people, that that would just more and more characterize who we are. Wait, wait, this is, let's stop talking, let's stop and pray. We learned this through the vitality process, the vitality pathway a few years ago. We need to pause, we need to pray, we need to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Prayer and waiting on the Spirit are our strategy. It's not the only strategy. Please don't misunderstand. I know other strategies kind of have to be developed as we move forward, as we discover it, but this is where we begin right now. Prayer and waiting on the Spirit are our strategy. Prayer and waiting on the Spirit are the new doing. We're doing something when we do that. At the close of my sabbatical, I took two days for a prayer retreat where I sought God, reread all of my journal entries over the past three months, and some fascinating themes arose. During that retreat, I opened the Bible app to read the passages for the day. I was involved in the, still am, in the, in the Read the Bible uh, Through in a Year project. And, oh, guess what? I was behind a few days. <clears throat> it will actually probably take me 18 months to read the Bible in a year. So what? There's nothing the Bible says you have to do it in a year. If you get behind in your Bible reading, you're using the Bible app, just click Catch Me Up. It's all erased. You're back on target. No guilt, no condemnation. I just did it this morning. And I feel fine. Anyway, that day, I read through the passages for the day, and each of them and the verse of the day seemed to speak to me and to be for us as a congregation. So as I share these with you, I want you to know something. <clears throat> I don't talk this way very often, if ever. I don't talk this way, but I feel compelled to do so. I sense the leading of God's Spirit in these passages. God has a word for us, and it's an encouraging word, and I want you to hear it. The first passage was from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. <clears throat> King Jehoshaphat is told that a vast army is coming against him, so in response, he calls all the people of Judah to a fast, and people from every town in Judah come there to him, and, and they seek the Lord together. And Jehoshaphat stands up and he begins to pray in the assembly. And as he's opening his prayer, like you would expect, he's praising God for his goodness. He's praising God for his promises, for his activity. But then in verse 10, he shifts gears. 
He prays, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them. It did not destroy them. It's almost like he's saying, This is kind of your fault, God. We could have taken care of them before, but you wouldn't let us. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is where we need to be, in prayer. Our eyes on God, waiting and trusting that God will answer us, especially when we do not know what to do. The next passage for the day was Psalm 102. First 11 verses are depressing, but honest. The psalmist is in distress, even feels right toward the end of the first part of that God has picked him up and thrown him to the side. Everybody's against him. But prayer turns a corner in verse 12. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. For it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayers of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. As I prayed over these verses, I sensed God saying the same to us. God will have compassion on us. He will show us mercy he will be seen here in our midst, in his glory. He will listen to our prayers and will not despise them. He will rebuild us. The final reading for the day was from 1 Corinthians 15, 39-45. After acknowledging that different parts of God's creation have different bodies, different levels of splendor or glory, Paul then transitions into the topic of our coming resurrection. Verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. What has died, what has been buried, will be raised, will be resurrected and glorious and powerful and spiritual, better than it was before. God will raise up what we have lost and it will be a different kind of, of the display of his glory than it was before. And friends, I know and you know that we have lost a lot here at ECC. We have lost a lot of people, frankly, who died just in the last year. We have lost staff who have moved on. We have lost friends and loved ones who have left ECC to attend other congregations. Some ministries have ended or will be ending. There have been what we refer to in the vitality team as necessary endings, some of them. And there will be more. But we're not killing ministries. We are letting them go, trusting that God will resurrect what is of Him. We are celebrating their impact in our lives and our congregation. We are acknowledging and grieving their loss. The diaconate is all but ended, and the same could be said of men's ministry. There are certainly areas where ministry of the deacons in, in men's ministry are still going on, but as 
structured, organized ministry, they are no longer, really. There are others that we could name. They are in need, not of a resuscitation, they are in need of a resurrection. And the new body they have when God resurrects them will be different than what they were in the past. It will be better, because that's how God works. God is in the business of resurrection and bringing life where there is no life. Finally, the verse of the day, which I never pay attention to, quite honestly. And it has nothing to do with the readings. There are two different plans. It was all about faithfulness and prayer. God's faithfulness in ours. Jesus tells us in Mark 11, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. God is calling us to prayer and God is promising he will answer. The promise of God is that though we do not know what to do, though I do not know always what to do, if we fix our eyes on God, He will meet us there. He will show us. God will have compassion on us. God will rebuild us. God will show us mercy. God will listen to our prayers and God will be seen here in our midst. What we have lost, what has been buried, what has ended, will be resurrected in a new and glorious form. Finally, very briefly, Several words or phrases have been given to me by God over the past year, but mostly during the sabbatical. These are words to encourage me, to challenge me, to encourage us, to challenge us, I hope, and to guide us as we move forward. First word is courage. This is a hard one. This word was given to me a year ago. Do you know what I hate about somebody telling you the word that I think God has for you is courage? Who wants to see what's coming that I need courage for? <laughs> right? That implies pretty directly difficulty, pain, fear, all sorts of things. I don't want to have to have courage. But courage is the word. Second word was trust. Pray for trust in God, not clarity. Pray for trust, not clarity. Now, I'll take clarity when I can get it, and I believe God does give it. But just a few days before I left for my sabbatical, I was in a small gathering of pastors, and Daniel Berry, who's the lead pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in West Lafayette, prayed for me. He knew I was struggling, that I wasn't sure whether I should stay or go. As he prayed, he said this, God, Mother Teresa says we should not pray for clarity, but for trust. But I pray both clarity and trust for Stacy. That was such a powerful prayer. I have carried it throughout the sabbatical. I have received clarity, and I believe God can and will give us clarity, but what we need most is trust. Trust that God is with us, Emmanuel. Trust that God is sovereign, that even in the most difficult and painful circumstances, God is always at work. Trust that he will never leave us or forsake us. Prayer. Praying and listening, as I said, is the new doing. Praying and listening is the new strategy. Pray without ceasing. We need to learn as a people and as individuals to stop and pray and believe that if we can speak to God, God can speak to us and we can listen and see what God might say. And we need to learn to pray on the go, to be a people who commune with God throughout the day, moment by moment, ready to turn on a dime if the Spirit leads us to do so prayer. And then peace. I must make my peace 
with rejection. That was really a personal word for me. If you need to wear it, wear it. I need to make peace with rejection. It will always be a part of this calling. It was true for Jesus. It was true for Paul. It's been true, really, for every human being that has ever lived. Sometimes, somewhere, someplace, you will be rejected. I must do the hard things and go in the difficult and challenging direction, even though some will reject me or ECC for it. Someone listening to me right now may, in fact, be rejecting this entire message. But I have made my peace with rejection, and I will continue to do so. So must we all. God wants us to swim in and fish in deeper waters, friend. God does not want us to give up and go home. God wants us to go back out into the deep waters one more time and to trust that He is with us, that He will transform us, that He will lead us into greater and greater experiences of Him in prayer, intimacy with Him in prayer. And that in and through our transformation, we will see a new harvest, an abundant harvest. So, just as an example, a small example of what I'm talking about. I think there are people that I've, been, I've met with in the last three weeks that would tell you that I've been faithful. Say, like, you know, we need to stop and pray right now. But in addition to that, um, learning to stop and pray and not just depending on my own thought processes, I have not laid out the next ten weeks of sermons like I would normally do. I don't know I have an idea what's happening next week because that's about how I work, but I don't know beyond that. I am simply going to go to God week by week and I am going to pray, what do you have for us this week? And I'm going to wait for God to give it to me. I want it to be a word that God wants to speak to us and then I'm going to do the work on that. I'm going to pray through that and I'm going to bring that message. Prayer has always been a part of the process. Please hear me. But this is something new, something different, something a little deeper that God is calling me to, and I'm, I'm going to try to wear it and move into it. So I invite you. I invite you to join with me on this journey of courage and trust and prayer and whatever it might mean for you to make peace with rejection and to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. I invite you to pursue your own transformation. I invite you to pray for me and pray for others as we try to understand exactly what that means because guess what? I don't know what to do but my eyes are on God. I want yours to be on God too. Would you pray with me? God, you are so good to us. You have given us the word, Jesus. You have given us scripture. You have given us your spirit. You have given us one another, though we take that one for granted all the time. You have given us this people in this place, You have not abandoned us. You will not abandon us. And we can trust you. God, I pray, I don't know where the hearts and minds are of people are right now, but you do. I don't know what part of what I've said is for whomever you might want it to be for, but you do. So I just pray that you would take whatever I have said that is of you for each person and and drill that into them and, and comfort them or challenge them. I pray that whatever I may have said that isn't would just fall away. And I pray that you would make of us, oh God, a praying people, a patient people, a people who are willing to sit and wait for you to move, a people who, when we do not know what to do, 
will look to you. A people who, when we are tired and frustrated, we will look to you. We will do what you say to do. Lord, pour out your spirit upon this people. Pour out your spirit upon those who are watching at home as well. Pour out your spirit, Lord, on those who might be tuning in who have left us and bless them. Bless them and draw them deeper into their relationship with you wherever they land. God, we are your church. We are your people. You have made it so. Forgive us where we have blown it and draw us nearer to yourself and to your purposes for us. May all we do, Lord, be in partnership with you and your purposes in the world. And may you receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name.